Good morning. Man, it's a beautiful morning in the neighborhood, but somebody else has already used that line. So welcome to Mornings with Mac. It is uh, an incredible day. It's about 44 degrees outside in Birmingham. Sun is shining, not a cloud in the sky. You should have seen the moon out here this morning. I tweeted a picture. I took a picture of the moon and its reflection in the lake about 4.40 this morning. Uh, get on my Twitter and take a look at it. It's it's stunning. You think it's the sun. Uh, it was so bright. Um, I stop and I think about that, that the, that the one who hung on the cross for you and for me is the one who in the beginning hung that moon in the sky. Well, I hope you've got a copy of God's Word. You've got a journal. Uh, you've got a pen. And you're ready to look at the Beatitude of Atonement. A lot of debate in our day about the atonement uh, in theology. In fact, I had one whole class with Dr. Allen on the atonement. He has written, I think, the definitive work on the atonement for our generation. And I happen to personally believe in a universal atonement. That is, I believe when Jesus Christ said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life that Jesus was not playing word games, that he was not trying to conceal that God that he came to die only for a handful of people or a few people or some people, uh, but it, that he came to die for whosoever will. Um, I don't believe that God plays with salvation. I don't think that he toys with us with salvation. I think that Jesus Christ came to die for whosoever will. So we're going to look in the Old Testament at the Beatitude of Atonement, or you could call it the Beatitude of, um, of the Blood. And it's in Leviticus chapter 9, and I'm going to read you two verses um, out of this chapter. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22 and verse 23, and then I want to look at the chapter the entire, in the entirety of the chapter, and I want to show you what's going on. Uh, verse 22 of Leviticus chapter 9, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. There's your beatitude. There's the blessing right there. And by the way, let me tell you, he is holding up bloody hands. He is the high priest, and he's holding up bloody hands because he's just made sacrifice. He blessed them, and he stepped down after making the sin offering, number one, the whole burnt offering, number two, and the peace offering, number three. And then Moses and Aaron go into the tent of meeting, which I'm going to tell you is the first time that Aaron goes into the tent of meeting. Moses had been doing this. Now Moses takes Aaron in for the very first time. And uh, by the way, Leviticus is written while they are still there at Sinai. Exodus and Leviticus uh, you know, the second part of Exodus from 19 on uh, in uh, Exodus and Leviticus all take place right there in the year that they're at Sinai. So Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting when they came out and blessed the people. There it is again. There's another blessing. There's another benediction right there. There's another beatitude. They're blessing the people. Bless the people. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. 
Now, all the people had gathered. If you come to chapter nine of Leviticus, what you're coming to is you're really coming to uh, a chapter on worship. This whole thing is going to deal with worship and uh, how worship is carried out. And you've got three offerings that are made in this chapter. You've got the sin offering. Um, The first sin offering there is going to be made by Aaron for Aaron. He's going to have to offer a sin offering up for himself first. Uh, Now, you and I have a high priest who was the sin offering, who did not need a sin offering for himself because he never sinned. Well, he comes with this sin offering up front. And that sin offering was for his purification. And it's interesting that if you're looking there in Leviticus 9, verse 2, it said, uh, Aaron, take for yourself a calf, a bull for a sin offering. Now, find that to be interesting that he would be told to take a calf, that he would be told to take this calf and offer it up as a sin offering because what had Aaron done uh, earlier at Mount Sinai? He had made a golden calf. And so now he takes a calf and uh, it it is a way that Aaron says, I have to have a sin offering for myself because I've sinned. And it kind of is interesting to me that it ties in as being a calf. Then he's going to take a ram and that ram is going to be for the whole burnt offering. The whole burnt offering, which spoke of putting the entirety of life on the altar. It was a ram and that ram really, I can take it back to Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw a ram caught in a thicket and he gets that ram and he puts it on the altar that substitutes for Isaac's life. God will provide, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide for himself a ram for the sacrifice. And then of course, the third offering that's mentioned in this chapter is the peace offering. You take an ox and a ram and you sacrifice them However, what you do is you sacrifice these animals, just the internal organs, uh, which is which is kind of picturesque of the internal part of me now uh, is at peace with God, the peace offering. And the rest of the meat is given back to the people to go and to have a celebration uh, in joy to eat so that they can celebrate uh, their peace with God. Now, you've got the sin offering for forgiveness and purification. You've got the whole burnt offering, which speaks of my whole life being on the altar. And then you come and you have got the peace offering, which is also, by the way, wrapped up with the thanksgiving offering. If you have peace, you're giving thanksgiving. And if you have thanksgiving in your heart, you know the peace of God. You, you are doing that in joy and celebration to the Lord. Now, what does all that mean? And um, what is the blessing? What is the blessing that comes out of this? What is the beatitude of the atonement? Well, the first thing is this, is that it means that our sins are forgiven. That is what's wrapped up in this whole first idea of purification. 
when he goes and he gives purification, Aaron makes purification of his sins with the sin sacrifice. And then he turns around and he makes that same uh, purification uh, for the people from their sins. So the beatitude of the atonement begins with this whole idea of the forgiveness of sin. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you. He is your sin offering. When you come and you present your whole life to him, listen, then you are reconciled to God. I have now peace with God, and I know that peace that passes understanding, and I experience that joy. But now let me show you the second thing, and the second thing is this is that it means living in resurrection power. Now, there's something interesting taking place in this chapter, and it begins really in verse 1 of chapter 9. And as I've shared with you, this is going to be the first time Aaron goes into the tabernacle, into the tent of meeting. Moses is going to take him in there. But look at how this chapter starts. Don't let any of these things escape you when you're doing your devotional uh, in the morning, pay attention very closely to the things that are stated. Now, it came about on the eighth day. Now, that just jumps out at me, the eighth day. Circumcision of uh, a child was to take place on the eighth day. Um, the eighth day represented something specific. I'm going to show you that here in, in just a second. Um, when you look at the octaves of, uh, of a piano, you have seven keys and an octave. The eighth key begins a new octave. So when you have an eighth day, you've had seven days. And the eighth day, you've had seven days of a week. The eighth day starts a new week. It starts uh, a whole new concept here is what's being said. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and the sons and the elders of Israel. Something new is starting. Something new is about to take place. And I think it becomes a picture, literally, of the resurrection of Christ. Jesus Christ was raised on the first day of the week. It was um, the eighth day. You had, and it's almost a picture of uh, creation, the seven days of creation, and on the eighth day with the resurrection, you have a whole new creation, mm, a whole new creation now uh, that is going to take place. Listen to, to Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse one. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing spices, which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. It was something new that was taking place. It was a picture of a whole new creation. And that's exactly what happens when you come to Christ. That's what Paul says, all the old things have passed away and behold, all things now become new. Well, I think this relates in some way here in Leviticus chapter nine to this whole idea of worship. Worship now, if you link the eighth day with the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of, uh, of uh, the power of the resurrection of Christ and how it begins all things new. I think what's being said when it says on the eighth day, this took place, there was all this sacrifice and they went into the tent of meeting and he stands up with bloody hands and he blesses the people, the benediction of the atonement. 
I think it's all wrapped up with worship. And I think what, what is being said in chapter nine is this, is that we are to worship God in resurrection power. So much of worship is man manufactured. It is, it is me trying to pump up somebody else. It's me trying to get a congregation excited. It's me trying to pour my energy into that congregation. And so much of it is just me trying to generate an excitement among the people. That's what our worship has become. I watch so many worship, and you, you, I'm sure you have during these days of, uh, of being quarantined. You watch so many different worship experiences, and, and you begin to think, you know, what is the difference between watching this and, and watching some type of show like um, America's Got Talent? Uh, this is all man's talent and ability on display, and we really rarely ever experience the power of God in worship. And uh, I think this chapter is saying that. I think it is telling us that worship is when we experience the resurrection power of Christ in our midst, that that's what worship is to be. It's not to be me with lights. It's not me with a fog machine. It's not me with a bank. It's not all this other stuff that we've made. Now, listen, I'm not knocking all of that. Some of that stuff is fine. Um, but it, the whole thing comes back to, am I going to worship in resurrection power or am I going to worship in what I can generate? In this chapter, what you're going to see, and I'm going to show you to, I'm going to show it to you in a second. What you're going to see here is you're going to see that from the priest to the people, everything is to be done in the worship of God and in his power. And because we look back at this from this side of the cross, we're looking at it that it's to be done in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Well, Everything we come to in worship is to be done. And you say, how do you do that? That happens when like in this chapter, something dies. Something dies. And when something dies, then new life can come. I think every time we come to worship what needs to die, is me. I have got to put this to death before I can experience the resurrection power of God in worship. And I think that's exactly what you see here in a chapter where all of this sacrifice takes place, all of this blood is shed, and Aaron stands up and he lifts holy hands to bless the people with a blessing of the blood, the blessing of the atonement, that that's what's happened for us. And we now get to live in the power of Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you the third thing. And the third thing is this, the blessing, the beatitude of the atonement means the glory and the fire of the Lord. Look at what happens in verse 23. 
Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out and blessed the people, look at this, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, the kabod, or we would say the Shekinah of God. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. Israel gathered for worship that day. All of these sacrifices were made so that Israel could go before God and worship. God had told them back in Exodus chapter 23 that if they would come to worship, that he would cause his presence to be there. And so right here, you see this dramatically, this happens right here. The glory of God all of a sudden bursts out around the people and fire comes out of the presence of God and consumes the sacrifice which is a way of saying that God accepts this. This is all a picture of the presence of God. You say, well, no, wait a minute. Preacher, we come to worship. We may come. I may die to myself. But listen, I don't see the Shekinah glory. All that light doesn't blaze out around me. And I, I don't see all of that now. Let me, let me take you to 2 Corinthians here. And let me show you where that all takes place now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. No, it doesn't happen all around you. It's what happens in you. It's the glory of God in you that shines in you and shines through you because of the indwelling of Jesus Christ in your life now. Boy, I'm excited. I can't wait for Sunday. That's what's happening. That's what God is doing. And what he's trying to do here is this. He's trying to build us into, all of us, into a priesthood. And he does that with the indwelling of his spirit. Now, what did the people do? It says they shouted. Do you see that word shouted right there? The Hebrew is ranan. It means a joyful shout. doesn't mean a scream of fear. It doesn't mean a, a scream of terror. It is a joyful, celebrative shout. Dr. Uh, Alan Ross, who is Hebrew expert, uh, talks about that. He says this is the joyful shout uh, of when God's people are surrounded by the presence of God. And they fell on their faces. What did they do? They worshiped. They were transformed. He's trying to transform us into a holy priesthood. Um, that's worship. That's the atonement. That's the beatitude of the atonement that you see right there in the ninth chapter. Now, it's been a while, so let me, let me close with a, with a great little illustration here out of Andy Griffith. Season one, episode 27. You remember Flint and his daughter Frankie? Well, uh, you know how Frankie wanted some of those decorations, as Barney called them, some of those female decorations, you know, to fix herself up. She was a girl, but she was the only child, and Flint and Frankie were the only two that could run the farm. He was the, she was the only help that Flint had. You remember the episode was Ellie Saves a Female. They go, they kidnap uh, uh, Frankie. 
They bring her back. They fix her all up. She comes out. She's beautiful. She's got all this makeup and dress and hair all done. And Andy puts her in the car and takes her back up there. Flint doesn't even recognize his own daughter. And of course, Andy saves the day by saying, you know, hey, Flint, you're not using her in the right kind of way. Now, Frankie, as a girl, is a fair farmhand, but she's not, she can't haul and pick up and do all that a man can do uh, on the farm. Um, but he said, you're, you're not utilizing her exactly right. He said, now, he said, she's Frankie, you know, a fair farmhand, but Francis is quite a lady. You, you remember that episode. The, the whole point is this. We can change the outside and nothing ever changes on the inside. But the beatitude of the atonement is this, is that God changes the inside, which dramatically changes the outside. Let me pray with you. Lord, I pray for those who've never experienced the wonderful salvation of Jesus Christ, that maybe this morning, maybe wherever they are, that they would call out and receive you as Lord and Savior and experience what it means to be redeemed, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, having our sins forgiven and having been made at peace with God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for us and for being raised from the dead. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message, if you would, and just share with me that this morning I prayed the prayer to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I'll see you tomorrow morning. God bless.